What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith from ESPN. This is former world champion boxer Showtime Sean Porter. Hey, this is Kobe Gibson. I'm Josh Creed. Hi, this is Joe Tate, voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And you're listening to Sports Power Talk. You listen to Sports Power Talk. And keep listening, or it'll be wham with the right hand. Ladies and gentlemen, live from the University of Akron, WZIP Sports presents the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. No question, with all due respect. This is Sports Power Talk. With the latest in sports news. In other news, the Zips losing streak has continued. Just had to be against the electric chickens, didn't it? In-depth analysis. Astrology for women is equal to what Joe Rogan is for men. (laughs) Have you ever tried DMT? (laughs) And, of course, the hottest takes. I want Baker Mayfield because he solidifies what Cleveland is. It's only a game. Why you have to be mad? I woke up feeling dangerous. You know, bro. Hard on pitch. I think that was textbook top cheese. Cleveland! This is for you! From the best that Ohio sports has to offer to the best of the Akron Zips. Now it's time for SPT. What's going on, everyone? You are listening to Sports Power Talk, the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. This is the February 6th edition of SBT, the first SBT of the month. My name is Jake Murren, and I will be the host of today's show. And boy, do we have a great show for you all today. We have included some games in today's show that I'm very excited about, including an NBA All-Star Game mock draft and an NFL Honors prediction show also also we will have the third rendition of around the rue later on so you won't want to miss that and as always we will talk about zips basketball mlb lockout Cavs basketball and the nfl super bowl matchup between the Bengals and rams and joining me for today's show are my analysts jeff longville what's up everybody and marcus anderson what's up with it how are you guys doing today not too bad doing good doing oh, good. pretty good how pretty are good. you doing jake um, not too bad. Nice. Not a bad morning. Nice. Um, yesterday my Instagram account got hacked, so that was not very fun. fun. Had to fun. deal with that. Okay. So, if you guys get any messages from at Jamer and three? Don't respond to those. <laughs> not good. Um, yeah, it was a rough time last night, but better today in no place I would rather be than in the studio on this show, Sports Power Talk. So let's get into the sports world with the men's Zips basketball team, who are now fourteen and six. After going a 1-0 this week against Miami of Ohio, only one game this week. It was on Friday night, and we won 66-55 to against Miami of Ohio. Before we give our takes on that game and more around the Akron Zips basketball team, we're going to cut it to head coach John Gross to hear his postgame comments after the win against Miami. Here is head coach John Gross. Um, you know, obviously, I thought our courage and resiliency was tremendous. Um, Brian got hurt, was out starting the second half. And then I thought the bench, and uh, we started Mike Dawson, who was terrific. He was great. Bondago was great. Clark's minutes were impactful. And then Mike Wynn played for the first time in a while, and his minutes were impactful. I thought the bench's play was a huge key uh, to the win and gives us confidence, certainly, and those guys' confidence. Uh, that we can maybe even be a little bit deeper moving forward. They added a lot of value tonight. I thought that was the story. You know, obviously, Freeman gets another double-double. I thought that we did a good job of getting the ball inside, both to him and Ali and Mike Wynn 
and Aziz in the first half and um, were able to convert some two-point field goals tonight, which was great. Um, you know, I thought early on in the game, to start the game, we had six of our turnovers in the first half. Four of them were in the first few minutes. I thought we were soft with the ball. They took our ball, but then we settled down a little bit after that um, and thought we played really well in the second half in particular, both ends of the floor. I thought our talk was good. I thought we were really connected. thought we had great energy. thought guys were playing for each other. Had a really good spirit about us in the second half. All right, that was Akron Zips head coach John Gross in his postgame comments after the 66-55 win against Miami of Ohio on Friday night. What were your guys' takes from the lone win this week from the Zips? Well, just by looking at the box score, what stood out to me was that the Zips were plus 14 in rebounding and then plus 12 in points in the paint. So they really did a good job in dominating the paint against Miami. I mean, it, that doesn't surprise me as well. I mean, knowing the depth they got at the big man position of with Bondango and Freeman and then also at, on and on. Um, but those two guys down in the paint, um, it's, it's really a dominant force, those two. And I really like uh, with Enrique Freeman being the man of the night, 21 points. I like how each night is always a different person, either Ali Ali or Cassis Dega or no matter what. It's, it's just like it's a real team. And it's a real team win for this te- for the Zips team. Great defense, and yeah. Yeah, so you said two things there. One, Enrique Freeman's performance was fantastic. And then two, our defense played very well. So as you said, Enrique Freeman scored 21 points, but he also had 13 rebounds, always has a double-double. And he shot nine for 13 from the field, so he was also very efficient. We were feeding him the ball all night long. And then as a team, the Zips also shot 50% from the floor. You can't beat that. And then Miami of Ohio, they only had a 36.8 field goal percentage in the game. So just defense trumps offense right there. Held the uh, Red Hawks to 55 points while we were scoring 66. Enrique Freeman had the greatest game of the of the had a greatest performance of the nights. And like you said, different names, different guys every single night. Ali Ali also had a great game as well. It was just the smothering defense, and we played within the flow of our offense. I think this is the offense that we should run. Uh, every night, sometimes we get too caught up in shooting the three, and it just disrupts the flow of our offense. Instead, against the Red Hawks, we were getting the ball into the paint, getting it down low, and it was a great game, and we dictated how the game was played. Also, we're going to start off the week for this um, week of Zips, Zips basketball against the Red Hawks as well. We play them today, and um, really, I just want to see the same game plan out of the Zips feed the man down low and Enrique Freeman and play your own brand of basketball. What do you guys have for today's game and some uh, previews? Yeah, basically just what you said. Uh, Since we were able to dominate the paint so easily uh, in the last matchup, let's try to do that again today. Yeah, I'll agree as well. I mean, just set things up and there'll be at times where it seems like they they run in plays without our patience. It seems like they run in plays that they just drew up on the sidewalk, like I said, but like stick with the same formula. um, Feed your big man, feed Enrique Freeman, feed Bandango, play tough defense, and you're get the win again today in Miami of Ohio. Yep, we beat them 66-55. to 55. We can do it again. This time we will be on the road, so that might be a factor to watch out for. We're not the greatest team on the road, but we are 14-6 and six and currently sit at third in the MAC. After we play Miami today, we're going to go on the road again to play Northern Illinois this week. 
And then on Friday, it is the revenge game in the jar against Kent State. The Electric Chickens, as it is well known around here, pack the jar, people. That's going to be a great game against Kent State. They're right behind us in the Mid-American Conference standings. So pack the jar, go Zips for this week. But it it begs the question, who is the favorite to win the MAC? I know we talked about Toledo being the favorite and maybe Ohio, maybe the Zips here and there last week. Has Toledo solidified that number one spot? I know they're not number one now, but are they still the favorite to win the MAC? You know, with Ohio jumping in front of Toledo, it became much more competitive, in my opinion. I'd say that the MAC could be won at this point by the top four teams, any of them Ohio, Toledo, Akron, or Kent State. I think it's between those four teams for me. It's a tight horse race, honestly, right here. It's like the Indianapolis 500. I mean, you got all teams like going for that number, going for that number one spot. Like, like the teams Jeff mentioned, um, us, Ohio, Toledo, and yeah, pretty much, yeah. So it's just up for grabs at this point. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Um, I really do think Toledo has a slight edge here, though. They did lose to Ball State 93-83 to in their last game, which snapped a nine-game winning streak for the Rockets. But my biggest thing is the Toledo Rockets beat the Ohio Bobcats, the number one team in the MAC right now. Um, it was a 87-69 to beatdown from the Rockets, and Toledo has also beaten the Zips. But Toledo did lose to Kent State, so it is a top-four team race. But I do like Toledo at this time in the season to win out. Or not win out the season, but at least win the MAC and uh, have a good chance at winning the um, the tournament as well. I think just Ball State had a great game, scoring ninety three against the Rockets. Um, I think it was just a good game for Ball State, and scoring eighty three is nothing to um, be sad about if you're the Rockets. But ninety three from Ball State that was pretty incredible by them. I think it was just a fluke game for the Rockets. They'll bounce back. They are eighteen and five um, and nine and zero at home. So we'll see what they do to finish out the season and keep on going with some Mac action the rest of the way. Hopefully the Zips can climb the rankings. They're stuck at third place right now behind the Ohio Bobcats and the Toledo Rockets, so hopefully they can climb those rankings there. So I'll do it for our Zips basketball talk, but there's also been a lot of conversations around the MLB lately, and the MLB lockout situation is still in full charge, unfortunately. And it came out last week that the MLB is officially willing to cancel and lose games over the new CBA talks. Apparently, the new CBA is reportedly not even close, and a delay seems inevitable. What are you guys' takes on this whole MLB lockout situation, and when will it come to an end? So for me, I believe that if if the MLB believes there's a problem, that they should solve it um, by any means necessary. If that means canceling games and postponing the season, um, then I say do it just to um, fix the issue at hand. I mean, it's not like it's not like a first time for this league. I remember back in 1994 when in the middle of the season they just cut the season short. And I th- and that was like due to contract issues and also with P- that was the era of PED use. And also, um, so this is something similar to that, but except this is something very different, something very worse, and and give you a sense of deja vu of 2020, and yeah, so I I think I think it's most likely they might can't they might call call it quits for the season or or keep this season unlocked. 
Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate, honestly. Um, I'm probably the biggest MLB fan of the three of us. I would say. Um, I know Jeff. You don't For really sure. follow. Jeff, yeah, you don't really follow them that much. <laughs> Um, honestly, like every year, I just can't wait for now the Guardian season to start. Just I like having that consistent game, like almost every night to tune into and watch. Um, at least you know sports is happening every single night, whereas the NBA and um, the NFL, obviously, that's not happening every single night. Um, and honestly, it's just the whole debate just needs to go the MLB Players Association's way, in my opinion. The owners just need to back down to a certain extent. The things they're arguing for just don't even seem relevant. They're trying to get this whole, like, DH, the universal DH situation to come around when the MLBPA just wants more rights for players, wants rookies to not be locked into deals for so many years that don't get them necessarily the money and the benefits that they deserve. And it's honestly not even that big of an ask because it seems totally fair what the Players Association have been asking for. I know um, all-star pitcher Max Scherzer on Twitter and other platforms have been calling out the MLB and the owners for their actions during this negotiation process. Um, Spring training is in grave danger, reportedly, from Ken Rosenthal. And the MLB even called for a federal mediator for assistance to resolve the issues. Um, Luckily for the MLBPA, they denied that mediator and they stand ready to negotiate with the MLB. But the fact that a federal mediator was even needed to begin with just tells me that negotiations aren't going well and it's just going to be a standstill for the future. For sure. Um, What do you guys take on this whole like federal mediator situation? Because I know it's not something that we see every day, especially in the sports world. And it seems like these conversations between the MLB and the MLBPA are just going south more and more as we get closer to the season. Yeah, so I'm just going to echo what you said. The fact that uh, a mediator was even, like, considered to solve this issue just shows that negotiations are not close to being solved and that something needs to happen, like some sort of, like, sit-down, real, like, serious, intense discussion needs to take place in order to solve these issues. Yeah, I would say the same thing, like, really get down to it. I mean, I remember the NFL having this kind of issue, like, back in 2010. But, like, again, this is a much worse um, issue they're dealing with right here. So, I guess, like Jeff said, just sit down and talk and make things happen uh, real quick before it's too late and you, and before they're going to have to call the se- put the season on, lock- on lockdown. Yeah, and at least the NFL was, you know, like, competent enough to actually figure things out and play football. In this case, I honestly don't think the MLB is going to figure this out in time for the season, yet alone spring training. Like I said, it's in grave danger. I don't think we're going to have a spring training starting on time at least. It's supposed to be starting relatively soon. Do you guys think the MLB season is actually going to start on time as scheduled late March and early April? I don't. I I think there's a possibility that it doesn't even happen at all. Um, Obviously, I hope it starts at some point, maybe just after a delay. But I think there's a real possibility that it doesn't even happen at all this year. Yeah, I'm with Jeff on this one as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really hoping we see MLB baseball this year. But I completely agree with you guys. This lockout situation, I feel like every single day I get a notification or I do some research about the situation. It just gets worse and worse. The whole federal mediator situation, it's just it's going south and. The MLB PA is unhappy, the MLB owners are unhappy, and both sides are just not willing to come to an agreement. So it's really unfortunate. 
Um, I know, Jeff, you're not the biggest MLB fan or baseball fan in general. Um, who do you think you would like side with, the uh, Players Association or the owners, considering the conversations being had with like the players' rights and uh, things like that? I think I would have to go with the Players Association. I think that what they're arguing for is... Um, I think it makes sense for them to argue Absolutely. to get what, yeah. what they want. Um, and I know that just the way that baseball is structured, that the owners seem to have more power than in other sports, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so absolutely. I think that negotiations uh, should go the player's way. Yep, and there's not like a salary cap in the NBA. Right, yeah. And one player on the Angels or Astros, for example, can make more money than the entire Indians roster. Yeah, like that, think, that doesn't need to be a thing. Yeah, I don't think that's right. And these rookies that are coming into the MLB, they're signed for these extensive periods of time, like eight-plus years sometimes, and that restricts how much they can make. Sometimes we get a rookie into the into the MLB who lights it up immediately. It doesn't happen very often, but sometimes you'll have that breakout rookie who deserves to be paid more, who deserves to be on maybe a bigger team that is willing to pay them more, but unfortunately due to contract situations and just how the MLB is structured and the rights of these players, they're unable to do so. And even players like Max Scherzer, like I said, these veteran players want these things in position for the new CBA for these younger players that are coming up. They're not really looking out for themselves as much as they are looking out for these younger guys coming up in the MLB. They're looking out for the future of the league, and that's really important. I hope the CBA is when it is good whenever it does come around, and hopefully we don't lose games, but it certainly looks like we're going to. Any final thoughts on this whole MLB lockout and this crazy situation going on? Honestly, hopefully they can work out their issues with one another, and hopefully we get baseball back soon. Yeah, I'm with that as well. I mean, and once again, yeah, the players should negotiate this. And, and like you said, Jacob, like the ridiculous contracts that we get, like, for example, with Bryce Harper and Francisco Lador, and also um, Mike Trout, I mean, ridiculous amount of contracts, kind of contracts that would, like, give you a heart attack yourself. And, yeah, and, I, and it's not fair for, like, the other players and, like you said, no salary crap, no salary cap. No wonder why these players get such ridiculous contracts. And yeah, they should come to agreement, come to compromise, and get the season going. At least, if non-time, at least get it going. Yeah, I'm not even like I want a salary cap in the MLB, but I think that's so far-fetched. I'm not even opposed to the whole like salary floor idea that was brought up months ago. At least it would give some teams who don't try or don't care to pay their players, like the Indians to actually go out and force them to pay their players and actually get guys signed in that can win you some games. I know last season and seasons prior, the Indians have been a farm team and they've been shopping guys and it's not it's not a fun product for fans. It really isn't. And instead of using money to pay players and get a season coming, we're spending it on stadium renovations. And I know Progressive Field can certainly use some renovations here and there, but I would rather sit in an uncomfortable seat and watch a winning baseball team than sit in a lounge and watch a team get scrambled all over. That's just my my take on that. Um, and like you said, just these contracts, I know Fernando Tatis, his contract for the next 10 years or so with the Padres is absolutely insane. He's making more than all the Indians players or now Guardians players combined. And I do hope the season starts on time. But I 
I don't want to say like one pro of the season being postponed is, but a potential pro would be the fact that it would shorten the season. Just because I know that shortened season due to COVID, that 60-game season or so, was very entertaining. You know, every single game mattered, especially against division opponents. Would you guys like to see at least a shortened season, or would you prefer a shortened season after this whole lockout situation is over? I think that it does make every game mean more, like you said. Yeah. Um, but for the general baseball fan, I think that they would they would want to see more games. Like, they play 162 regularly, right? Yep. I think that the general baseball fan would like to see 162 games compared to 60, in my opinion. I mean, short or long, I'd rather, have, I'd rather see this season go on. I mean, I got a feeling this is going to be a great season. I mean, once was uh, once was called America's America's pastime, still is America's pastime, but, like, over the last decade, it's been, like, become a boring game, and then it actually became alive with, like, bringing back the old rules and bringing back um, and with these players, these new stars like uh, Shohei Otani and then Vladimir Guerrero and with this game becoming alive again, becoming rejuvenated, I got a feeling this is going to be a great season so long and short. I'd rather for it to happen. Yeah, Shohei Otani is on the cover of MLB The Show 22. I don't know if you guys saw that, but they're actually promoting him. Thank goodness. I don't think enough people know who uh, Shohei Otani is. And that's really unfortunate because I think he's the future of the MLB. He's going to be a talent to watch in the MLB for years to come. Um, But the thing with the shorter season, I like it because games are more important, more impactful. And if you lose a game, it actually hurts more in the standings. But my thing with like a longer 162 game regular MLB season is that MLB teams fluctuate the whole season. You know, in the like the NFL, for example, a team can have one really bad week and then bounce back the next week. For the MLB, a bad stretch could last about a month. And for a player, it could last for even longer than just one month. So the MLB, it's a lot about who has momentum and when. Like the Cardinals had like a 10% chance to make the playoffs last year or something like that, maybe even worse. And then they went on like a 22-game winning streak to finish off the season, made the wild card games, lost in the wild card, but nonetheless at least made the postseason which was pretty impressive on their end and that's the thing with all those games it just allows teams to get through those rough parts or even shine and go through those winning streaks like we saw for the Indians not too long ago too honestly I just want some baseball I want it sooner rather than later Um, I know the NFL is coming to an end here shortly next week with the Super Bowl Um, NBA they're still in the meat of their season so that's good at least but if the MLB gets delayed, we're probably going to be without some professional sports for at least a little bit of time, which nobody wants, and that's for sure. So that'll do it for our first segment with the Zips basketball and MLB lockout talk. Next segment, you won't want to miss it. We're going to be talking about the Cavs, their week, Darius Garland's all-star nod, and we'll also do a little bit of a NBA all-star game mock draft with Jeff and Marcus, and I will be judging the teams that they draft. I'm actually very excited for that and I hope you guys are too. We will be right back with more Sports Power Talk. What's going on everybody? We are back with Sports Power Talk, the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. My name is Jake Murren. I am the host of today's show. Joining me today are my analyst Jeff Longville. I am so excited to put my GM skills to use here. 
And Marcus Anderson? On the 216-330, just like LeBron. All right, we got a little, other way around. <laughs> we got a little bit of a competition here amongst you two coming up very, very soon. But before we get to the All-Star Game mock draft, we have some very exciting Cavs basketball to talk about. Um, before they began play this week, J.B. Bickerstaff, the head coach of the Cavs, was named the Eastern Conference Coach of the Month for January. The Cavs went 11-4 and in January, and it was a Cleveland's the Cleveland Cavaliers' best mark in a single month since November 2017. Wow. So certainly deserving for J.B. Bickerstaff. Um, absolutely love him as a head coach, and we have a great system going forward. Any takes on J.B. Bickerstaff and his award that he got? I think very well deserved for J.B. Uh, had a very good month of January, and in my opinion, should be a leading candidate for Coach of the Year this year. Oh, yeah, I very agree. Yeah, very great. I mean, very great award for him. Maybe he really deserved it. I mean, you know, despite of him for the last four games, those two, two of the worst teams in the NBA, Detroit and Houston. But other than that, yeah, he's really been putting together a good stretch for his team, really keeping this team together. I won't be surprised if he wins Coach of the Year. Definitely. I actually didn't think about that. That would be nice, and I think it is deserving, especially since the the expectations of this team were very low to start mm-hmm. the season. We were all talking about play-in, maybe getting in the play-in, and now we're sitting at fourth in the Eastern Conference, so certainly deserving in that right. Um, I might give it to Monty Williams over, though. I mean, the Suns, Fair. The Suns, right, are, just, the Suns are just playing out of their own minds right now. Um, but, yeah, J.B. Biggerstaff, it's nice to be recognized when you – are doing right things, and he's certainly doing a lot of right things for the Cavs, who are now 32-21 and 21 after this week of play. Like I said, they're fourth in the Eastern Conference, and they started off the week last Sunday with a tough loss against the Pistons. It was a 115-105 to 105 loss. Um, Darius Garland did play in that game before taking the next three games off due to back soreness, um, but DG had 24 points and seven assists in that game. Um, but it was the Pistons and Cade Cunningham who had a great second half and had a triple-double in the game with 19 points, 10 assists, and 10 rebounds. Honestly, not not much to say about this Pistons loss. It was a really tough one, but any takes on this one? I thought that we had the game in our hands, and then late in the game, we lost our focus, and the Pistons were able to take advantage of that. Yeah, I thought Absolutely. so as well. I mean, I mean... It's just the inconsistency with it seem on this team could look like a juggernaut one night and then the next night can lay a can lay an egg. I mean just just need consistency. Need a bit more defense and yeah. I I think they just let this one get get away with them. Same thing with Houston. Yeah. yeah. And Detroit Detroit was just more aggressive on both sides of the ball. Like especially the offensive side. They were just getting into the paint at will. And their offense, and especially their three-point shot, came alive, especially in the second half. Um, they were rough in the first half, especially Cade Cunningham. But then he comes around and gets a triple-double in the second half of the game. So we start off the, the week with a loss, and then we go to New Orleans to win 93-90. to So that was a nice comeback win. We were without Darius Garland for that game. It was a low-scoring low affair. Um, but the Cavs offense was able to... Uh, keep it going without Garland. Any takeaways from the Pelicans game? So from what I've been seeing uh, since Garland went down is that our our offense goes as Garland goes. Without exactly. him, we aren't able to get in much of a rhythm. Um, our ball movement isn't the same. And we struggled against a New Orleans team who is um, inferior to us. Not to be disrespectful, but we are a much better team than New Orleans. And we were barely able to beat New Orleans 93-90. Uh, to 90. 
And I think that the reason the game was so close is because we didn't have Garland out there leading the offense for us. I mean, the wins truly exemplifies the kind of character this team has this year. I mean, the, this team's will to just go on and believe in this saying, like, the show must go on no matter who you got. And it, all that matters is the, guy you, the guys you have on the court yeah. currently. I mean, they've been learning how to do this all year round, learning to win without their star players. Uh, first, without Colin Sexton, and then with uh, without Darius Garland this night. I mean, even they, Ricky Rubio too. Oh yeah, that too. I mean, they just learning just to make adjustments, not excuses. Yeah, that next man up mentality certainly um, attributed to the Cavs team after the Pelicans win. They moved on to the Houston Rockets, and as you said, Marcus, we dropped that one as well. Uh, 115 to 104. Again, we were without Darius Garland, who is really just the the manager of our offense, honestly. He just manages the floor and the flow of our offense so well. Um, Evan Mobley really shined out in that Rockets game, though. He scored 29 points with 12 rebounds. Kevin Love also had a double-double with 21 points and 13 rebounds. But it was the young guys for the Rockets with Christian Wood, Jalen Green, and Kevin Porter Jr. It was just too much for the Cavs to handle that night. Yeah, so this was the game that I think was uh, the biggest example of Darius being the leader of our offense. Yeah. Because we like to play a lot in the half court. The Rockets are uh, more of a push-the-pace type of team. And because we didn't have Darius, the Rockets controlled the pace of the game basically the entire time, got us out of sync, and they were able to take advantage of that. Yeah, even though the Rockets are real young and is one of the worst teams in the NBA at this point, but they're a real sneaky team. They're a real uh, fight-to-the-finish team. And as a and with... With the guys like Christian Wood and Jay the Green and other talented young guys, they got I, I see a great future with them. But this night is just like you said, um, unable to unable to push the ball and score efficiently, and also um, let this one guy get away with them as well. Yeah, once the Rockets are like actually like disciplined and have some good coaching and foundation, I think they could have a bright future with the guys they have right now. Um, but we lose to them, and then we pick it back up against the Hornets. With a slight 102 to 101 win, um, Jarrett Allen, after not being named an All Star, perhaps maybe the biggest snub All Star pick of this season, Jarrett Allen goes out there and just you know casually scores 29 points and had 22 rebounds. And man, what a performance from him! Also, Kevin Love had 25 points and nine rebounds. It was just a hard nosed old fashioned basketball where our bigs dominated. Um, obviously, we have to talk about the little bit of a, a ref uh, mishap late in the game yeah. in the fourth quarter. Uh, Jeff, I'll, I'll let you kind of recap exactly what happened late in that Hornets game. So the officiating was bad for both sides. Uh, first, yeah. I'll start with uh, how he was bad for us. Um, so the whistle blew, so there was no basketball happening, and Terry Rozier had the ball. He was just shooting a practice three. And Ed Davis, who was on our bench, for some reason, tapped Terry Rozier, and the refs felt that that was a technical foul, even though there was no basketball even happening. Yeah, somebody was ruled out of bounds with the right, basketball. Yeah. Whistle blew. It was a dead ball. Whistle blew, and then Terry Rozier gets the ball, shoots the three, and go on. Right, yeah. So uh, they got a technical foul for that. And then late in the game, we were down by one point. Um, Charlotte um, shot a three, tried to increase their lead, and Isaac Okoro essentially, like, tackled uh, the the uh, the guy trying to get the rebound, and the refs didn't call it on him, which, in my opinion, is a makeup call for what happened uh, with the technical foul thing. 
Uh, we got the rebound. Uh, Brandon Goodwin tried to shoot a mid-range jumper, airballed. Kevin Love ends up with the ball, um, goes up for the shot, gets fouled. Um, and then we weren't in the bonus, but the refs deemed it a shooting foul. So then James Borrego challenged it, and it was still deemed a shooting foul, even though a lot of people thought that uh, Kevin Love wasn't going up with the with the uh, the ball at the time the foul occurred, okay. even though he was going up with the ball. It was a shooting foul. So you think it was a shooting yeah, foul? Yeah, I okay. do. Uh, so Kevin Love hits the two free throws. We go up by one. And then Charlotte takes their last time out. They go to inbound the ball to Miles Bridges for the game-winning dunk. But the ball hit the rim. So I don't think Miles Bridges could have caught the ball even if he wanted to. And he ends up falling to the ground. And a lot of people thought there should have been a foul there, but Jared Allen didn't touch Miles Bridges at all. So in my opinion, it was a good no call. And the Cavs won 102 to 101. Yeah, the rest were all over the place. Really, that that out of bounds play was just insane to me because, like we said, the whistle was blown because the ball was out of bounds, and then Terry Rozier shoots this dead ball practice three shot like we've seen in the NBA over and over again, gets fouled on the Cavs bench, mm-hmm. and not only did they deem that a technical foul, but they also allowed the three points to count. And I think Terry Rozier went to the to the line as well. Mm-hmm. So just it was mind blowing what happened there with that sequence. I'll I'll go to you, Marcus. What did you make of that whole ref job, especially late in the fourth quarter? Yeah, I think it was out of control. I mean, as some you never expected, especially um so many so many uh, questionable calls he was making down down the last quarter, especially at the at the very end. It was a very hard fought game. And the and the Hornets, I thought they won, I thought they won it, and then a late called uh, called on a late foul called on Kevin Love, and apparently foul or not that he was not touched at all, and then gave and then that's when they gave Kevin Love free, uh, freebies, won it won the game for the Cavs, and yeah, I, honestly, I think the Hornets got robbed. Or even if the Hornets won, the Cavs got robbed as well. I mean, it was just terrible officiating. Like you said, and yeah. Uh, don't be like that, Marcus. No, don't seriously. be like that. <laughs> it was terrible free officiating. It was. I mean, it was. Especially that Kevin Love foul. I mean, it was so late. And <laughs> clearly, if you look back at it, back at it, it <laughs> he was barely touched. It wasn't even enough to be called a foul. So anyway. are, but Terry Rozier's arm is like all inside of Kevin Love's grip of the basketball. I mean, still. Well, how uh, can you say he was barely they, touched? It was. Then? It was it wasn't enough to be a foul. It wasn't it was enough to be a foul. Like this it was a foul. wasn't enough to be a foul. I unfortunately I mean, didn't see the play, so I can't really weigh in on this, but I feel like this should have been a like, you know, like when You know like when the player has the ball in his hands yeah. and uh, the defender's arm is like inside of the player's arms, like, like all region. against his like ribs and his like yeah. bicep? That's what it was. Right, it wasn't enough to be a foul. Do you, okay, Marcus, do you... You obviously don't think it was a shooting foul, but do you think it was like a foul in general, or do you just no keep on playing? No, I just keep on playing. Oh man, I mean, it wasn't enough to be qualified as a foul. I mean, See, I thought the debate was like shooting foul or not because they reviewed it and still mm-hmm. deemed it a shooting foul, not the fact that it was like a foul or not a foul. But regardless, Kevin Love went to the line and iced the game out. And whether you put an asterisk next to the win or not, I think you, regardless of what team won there would be an asterisk there because of how bad the officiating was. But luckily it was the Cavs who won the game and they escaped Charlotte with the win. 
with this week of Cavs basketball, it's really unfortunate we went without Darius Garland for three games. But fortunately for the Cavs, that next man up mentality like we were talking about, we still go two and one without Darius Garland, which I'll definitely take that. But this week we have like the Pistons, Pelicans, Rockets, and Hornets. As you said, Jeff, not to be disrespectful, but I think all four of those teams are beneath the Cavs right now. They're mm-hmm. inferior. Um, I was really hoping to sweep out this week rather than just go two and two um, and kind of just climb that Eastern Conference standings that are so tight right now. It is what it is, though, and we do play the Pacers today. Uh, Darius Garland is questionable with back soreness for today's game. Um, like I said, he did miss the last three, and the Pacers are currently 19 and 35. Uh, what are you guys watching out for for today's game against Indiana? I think if Darius sits out, it's going to be another close affair. Um, Brogdon for the Pacers is a game-time decision, as well as Sabonis. So without them, okay. that'll definitely help the game go in our favor a little bit. Especially helpful for our bigs. Yeah. Right, yeah. But again, without Darius leading our offense, I think it's going to be a close game. Oh, yeah, definitely. Without, if the game-time decision is, becomes clear that Brogdon and Sabonis cannot play, that'll make it easier for us. But other than that, the Pacers are a real... Despite their record, real tough team to play with. Not no jokes at all. And once again, we gotta be without Darius Garland. So I expect this to be a down to the wire game. Another down to the wire game. We have to go through again. And yeah, so yeah. So yeah. I I would say like just feed down to the bigs, play tough defense, and play just just um rough basketball. I'll say yeah. Feed uh, Evan Mobley and Jarrett Allen the ball down low for sure. And also we get a, a little bit of a front row viewing of a potential trade target, Karis Levert, for the Pacers. Um, he did score 42 points in his last game against the Bulls. He's been playing very well this season. What do you guys think about this whole Karis Levert trade rumors for the Cavs? And do you think it's a player that we should be targeting and actually acquire before the trade deadline this week? I don't think he's a necessary acquisition for us to get, but I do think that we should try to pursue him a little bit, just at least see what the Pacers want for him. Uh, I think that if you're a team like the Pacers who have openly admitted that they want to tear everything down and restart. Yeah, I mean, they're 19 and 35. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, and they're doing that with a lot of talent on their team as well, so I think it makes sense for them to tear everything down. The number one thing that I think a team like the Pacers would want is draft capital. And we do hold Houston's and San Antonio's second-round picks this year. So I think giving up one of those um, and trade talks for Karis LeVert wouldn't be the worst thing for us since we're so young. So honestly, I think that we should try to pursue Karis LeVert and at least see what the Pacers want for him. Yeah, I would consider it as well. I mean, in Karis LeVert, I mean, look at the kind of player he is. It would add another dimension to our offense. I mean, you're getting a decent perimeter shooter, a decent defender, and uh just an overall, uh, just an overall heck of a basketball player carries the verse, so I would consider it. And even though at the same time, I'll, you would expect for a guy like carries the verse, you wouldn't expect to give up much for a guy like that. But cause I'll, I'll consider it, see how much they want the Pacers want for him, and yeah, I'll, I'll go for it. I'll make a deal on that. Yeah, I like the move if it makes sense. Um, I'm kind of worried about what we would give in exchange for Karis Levert, but one thing. That remains true about this Cavs team is my trust in our front office. Um, we're not going to get snubbed out of any single trade this season or any season in the future with how our front office is built. And we're not going to trade for Karis Levert if it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So they're going after him right now. Uh, we'll see if we do acquire him. And I can just imagine him alongside Darius Garland and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. It would be 
it would be pretty entertaining to watch, and it would probably further our um, upcoming playoff run this season, I would hope so at least. Another player in trade conversations, though, is the Nets' James Harden. Um, he apparently is uncomfortable with his situation in Brooklyn. He doesn't like living in Brooklyn. The whole Kyrie situation has got to him a little bit. What are you guys' whole take on this James Harden situation and potential like trade spots for James Harden? So I've been hearing a lot of Harden to Philadelphia for Ben Simmons. That's what I've also been seeing. Which, yep. to me, I actually really do like that trade because really? I think... I do, yeah. I think that... It would help both teams out. I think it would give the Sixers actual playmaking as well as additional scoring. Cool. And then you'd have a lot of double teams coming Harden and Embiid's way, which would free up the role players for the Sixers. And the Nets, they would get rid of that Harden distraction that, be, that has become prominent as of late. And they would get Simmons, who could just focus on playmaking and let KD and Kyrie focus on scoring. However, it's not going to be as simple as Harden... Ben Simmons because Harden has a $47.4 million player option at the end of this year. So if the Nets could get rid of Harden and he goes to Philadelphia, if he doesn't like it in Philadelphia, he could just leave right after the end of this season, which Philadelphia obviously wouldn't want, whereas Simmons is under contract for the next three years. And Daryl Morey is refusing to give up players like Tyrese Maxey and Matisse Thibault that the Nets have communicated with the Sixers and saying that they want. So it's kind of a complicated situation there with the trade trying to be worked out. Yeah, main complications, but that would be awesome as well. I mean, James Harden is, you know, you should make up a new position for James Harden. Just call him a point forward because that's what he basically is. I mean, got skills of a point guard, um, and, and he's that much of a playmaker, uh, like Jeff said. Um, he got skills of a point guard, got the handles, got the passes skills, and he gave his score and could score like a small forward. So pretty much, that'll be awesome for the Sixers. Um, it gives some the Sixers been looking for for a long time a true point guard, but he's a like I said a point forward. And let me let me backtrack real quick. Um, it would only work for the Nets if Ben Simmons is actually mentally right. You know, if yeah, he hasn't if he, if he hasn't right if he hasn't lost his focus and isn't still like dealing with the whole um, playoff situation with against the Hawks thing. If he comes in and he's like mentally right and can focus on playing basketball, I think it'll work out really well for the Nets. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I said this time and time again, but really I think the 76ers started that whole situation. I think it was kind of unfair for them to just put all that blame on one player when it's a team brand of basketball, and now it's just like trickled down. And I feel bad for Ben Simmons, but at the same time, I think he could also be putting a step forward in this whole situation as well. And honestly, I like the the matchups that it could make. So like Embiid and Harden would be pretty entertaining to watch and it would be a threat in the Eastern Conference. And then for the Nets, same thing. If Ben Simmons can play, him alongside Kyrie and KD when he gets healthy would be pretty entertaining to watch as well. So we think like Ben Simmons alongside KD and Kyrie is a better big three than if it was Harden, KD, and Kyrie? a tough question because there's so many question marks surrounding the Nets as far as what is Kevin Durant going to look like when he comes back and is Kyrie going to be able to be a full-time participant and what does Ben Simmons look like when he comes back so I think in terms of getting rid of the Harden distraction and assuming that there's no Simmons distraction I would say potentially yes but if they're exchanging one distraction for another then I would have to say no 
I mean, I don't know. I mean, honestly, Ben Simmons has been like a five, six year project. I mean, he's it's like he's still in. He's still trying to develop himself. He's not full development as a basketball player. I mean, he still possesses no jumper. I mean, he 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 has no fundamentals in his game, and his game is kind of like screwed up. I'll say. I mean, like I said, a five six year project. But in other words, um, I mean, the question being, like, does he go well with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? Now, I'm not sure, and I think he goes well with nobody. Honestly, that's how much of <laughs> that's how much I dislike his game. It's just. Like I said, a five, six-year project. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's fair enough. We'll have to see what happens. Uh, last question on the James Harden um, situation. Do you think this deal will be made? It's difficult, again, given Harden's player option and Simmons' contract um, situation. And I don't think it's going to be just Harden for Simmons straight up. I think there's going to be some other things thrown in there. And given that Daryl Morey is refusing to give up pieces that the Nets want, I'd say that that makes it less likely to happen, but I'm not going to rule it out um, 100%. I think it still could happen, but it's going to be complicated for it to actually take place. I agree Um, with you. Yeah. All right, well, it is time to get in to the NBA All-Star Game mock draft. The reserves were announced. We're very excited about this. So Jeff and Marcus will be drafting as if they were LeBron and KD for their own All-Star teams. Jeff, you are wearing a LeBron James jersey, so we just deemed you LeBron. Mm-hmm. And actually, Marcus is wearing a Nets jersey, so it kind of just worked out that way. I was going to have you guys do Who like a... Who is that, by the way? Oh, this is Dryzen Petrovich. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah. nice. Yeah, I was going to have you guys do like a, a game of rock, paper, scissors, but then you just came in with the jersey, so it was like, just had to be that way. Yeah. So, Jeff, you are going to be LeBron James in this situation. As the top vote getter, you will draft first among the all-star starters, so go ahead with your first draft pick. I'm going to go ahead and take Steph. I mean, kind of right, obvious, yeah, right? Yeah. So Steph Curry is off the board and on Jeff's team. Marcus, as KD, you're going to go second. I got John Morant. John Morant. All right. Back to you, Jeff, after the, the John Morant pick. Mm, I'll take Giannis. Yes. Oh, man, this team you're building is... <laughs> I'm liking Jeff's team so far, I'm not going to lie. But, Marcus, go ahead with your third pick. Nikola Jokic. Okay. Reigning MVP. Yep. Not bad. Jeff, back to you. You have LeBron, Steph, and Giannis so far on your team. I'll take Embiid. Embiid? (laughs) Oh, man. Not happy over there, Marcus? (laughs) I was about to take him. I was about to have a dominant... (laughs) I was about to have a dominant front court, man. Uh, That's what happens. That's what happens. Uh, Okay, um... I got Trey Young. Got Trey Young. Trey Young off the board and on Marcus's team. Um, Jeff, go ahead and pick your last All Star starter. Have fun with Andrew Wiggins. I'm taking Demar. <laughs> Demar. Oh, fine. I'll have Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> Demar Derozan is on Jeff's team and Andrew Wiggins. Unfortunately, honestly, not even deserving of an All Star starter in all of our opinions. But nonetheless, on Marcus's team. So the all-star starters, real quick, for both of your teams, for Jeff, you have LeBron James, Steph Curry, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, and DeMar DeRozan. And then for you, Marcus, you have Kevin Durant, John Morant, or Kevin Durant, John Morant, Nikola Jokic, Trey Young, and Andrew Wiggins. How do you guys feel about your team so far? I, I think see a, mine's better. I see a little head shake from you, Marcus. <laughs> uh, big, 
Big mistake picking him over LaMelo Ball. I would pick LaMelo Ball, Ball, but... Over who? Andrew Wiggins? Or? Yeah, Andrew Wiggins. Well, you Big kinda, mistake. You kind of can't because they play in different conferences and different... Oh, yeah, I forgot the Hornets are right, east. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. Um, honestly, I would probably have to give Jeff the nod here for the All-Star yeah. starters. I mean, it's kind of looking dominant in your way. But we still have some reserves to pick from. Um, Darius Garland is in the mix there, too, so we'll see where he gets picked. Congrats to Darius Garland on his first Adam Darius. Yeah. Do you guys see the, the video of him getting celebrated in the bus I with did. his teammates? Very wholesome. It was fantastic. I love this team so much, but... Anyways, Marcus, you will get a back-to-back pick here. Um, you'll pick the very first all-star reserve. Okay, sweet. So I got Jimmy Butler, and I got Jason Tatum. Well, no, no. You, you, only just, pick you one. just get to pick one. Oh, you yeah. Oh, one. oh, okay. Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is your pick? Okay. Yeah, Jimmy Butler. Okay. Uh, Jeff, on to you. I'll take Luca. Luca. okay. Honestly, I think he should be a starter over Andrew Wiggins, so As you got to have, like, a starter on your bench. Right. <laughs> All right, Marcus, back to you for your second All-Star Game reserve. Jason Tatum. I mean, kind of saw that one coming after the first one, right? All right, Jeff. So many options. I'll take Booker. And another guy I think should have been starting over Andrew Wiggins. So almost like two starters on your bench so far, but a little bit of small ball there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Marcus, back to you. Chris Paul. Okay, you take a small person as well, Chris Paul, veteran out of Phoenix. Jeff, back to you. Hmm, I'll take Harden. James Harden, the guy we just talked about, still sticking small there, Jeff. We'll see how that goes for you. Um, but Marcus, we'll go back to you for your next All-Star Game Reserve. The Spider, Donald Mitchell. <laughs> Lots of small ball here. I don't have, like, the rest of the players up right now. I'm sure there's a lot of bigs, but I'll go back to you, Jeff. I'll get you a big. I'll take Gobert. Gobert. Rudy Gobert from the Utah Jazz off the board. Marcus, go back to you. Carl Anthony Towns. Cat. Big cat. Big cat, right. baby. Cats. Two back-to-back big men now. Hmm. Jeff, we will go back to you for your reserves. Hmm. It's getting tough now. It is getting tough. Um, I'll take Zach Levine. Oh, Levine. Man. He's stealing all your picks, isn't he? Yeah. Not having a good time over there, Marcus? No. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus, your last pick was Carl Anthony Towns. Who are you picking this round? Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton. Who um, should not even be in the All-Star game, in my opinion. Jared Allen should be that position. But that's just my opinion. Jared Allen deserves to be an All-Star. He's the most underrated player in the league. Jared Allen? Put some, nah, Chris Milton. Oh, put some respect on his name. Put some respect Chris on Milton. Jared Allen. No, put some respect would on Chris Middleton. Would you put LaMelo Ball in over Chris Middleton? Uh, I would have picked LaMelo Ball. All right, then. Jared, pick, but, then <laughs> put some respect <laughs> on his name, but no, LaMelo Ball would be better. <laughs> oh, man. Jared Allen is averaging 16 points a game, 10 rebounds a game, and he's shooting 68% from the floor. I mean, he's an all-star. He's an all-star. Over Chris Middleton, definitely. Put some respect on Jared Allen's name. But that's my little rant on Jared Allen. Jeff, go ahead with your next reserve. I'm going to go with the Cavaliers' own Darius Garland. I guess I'm left with Brad Van Lee. (laughs) And then I guess I'm forced to take Draymond Green. Rad. Might not be in it? (laughs) No, I I don't think he's playing. I think he's hurt. 
Draymond Green. So that was all the picks then? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So the teams right now, Jeff, you're looking at LeBron James, Steph Curry, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, and DeMar DeRozan as your starters. Your reserves are Luka Doncic, Devin Booker, James Harden, Rudy Gobert, Zach Levine, Darius Garland, the Cavs' own, and then Draymond Green. For Marcus, your starters are Kevin Durant, John Morant, Nikola Jokic, Trey Young, Andrew Wiggins, Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, Chris Paul, Donovan Mitchell, Carl Anthony Towns, Chris Middleton, and Fred Van Vliet. How are you guys feeling about your teams? Before I decide who will win, I think it might be a little obvious, though, unfortunately. Um, how are you guys feeling about your teams? I think that I do have um, a lot of smaller players on my team, but I think that in in terms of an all-star game setting, I don't really think size matters that much. Uh, I think I do got a lot of three-point shooting as well, and I got I got some <clears throat> decent size coming off the bench. So I think that my team is superior to Marcus's. Uh, he may got the best squad, but, <laughs> yeah. I, but I, he may got the best squad, but I got the sharpshooters, though. And the rainy MVP. I got the sharpshooters and the rainy MVP. What sharpshooters? I mean, Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler. I mean, (laughs) Jimmy Butler's a sharpshooter. Chris Milton. I mean, I got the sharpshooters. Okay, okay. So I have Steph. I have Booker. I have Luka. I have Darius. I have Harden. I have Levine. I mean, I got Trey Young. He's a okay. <laughs> another one of my sharpshooters. Trey okay. Young apparently trumps every single yeah. player you just named. Yeah, yeah, apparently. I mean, I got the right MVP, so I got nothing to worry about. Well, I got four-time MVP. <laughs> there you go. As my captain. Yeah, there you go. That's all it takes. Um, yeah, this is pretty obvious, Jeff. Your team is probably going to win this game. Thank um, you. Marcus, I think he has the edge in size, but, like, the edge of every single other thing goes to you, Jeff. Thank you. Um I mean, LeBron James and Steph Curry, weren't they on the same all-star uh, team last year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was just dominant. And then um, also Darius Garland on that team. I would love to see Darius Garland be on the same team as LeBron. I would, too. And for them to get minutes together, like, that would just bring me so much joy as a Cavs fan. But, yeah, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, DeMar DeRozan, Trumps, Kevin Durant, John Morant, um, Nikola Jokic, Trey Young, and Andrew Wiggins, in my opinion. Andrew Wiggins shouldn't even be there, but we'll see how many minutes. Honestly, saying Kevin Durant and John Morant back-to-back is, like, messing me up a little bit. (laughs) That's okay. So, Jeff, congratulations. You won the NBA All-Star Game mock draft. That was a good time, Marcus. I know you might not be having a good time over there, but you picked a team. How about that? You picked a team. Did the best I could. (laughs) Yeah, you did. And, you know, Jeff did steal um, a couple of your picks. I know you wanted Booker and... um, I think it was Levine, too. So mm-hmm. that'll do it for our NBA segment here. Cavs basketball running strong. Hopefully they pick up the win tonight against Indiana. And then the All-Star Game mock draft. What fun that was. And, Jeff, your team would win every single day of the week, in my opinion. And we'll see how the teams actually get drafted this Thursday night on TNT when LeBron James and Kevin Durant draft their actual All-Star teams. We will go to break, and then we'll be right back right here on Sports Power Talk, 88.1 WZIP. We are back with more Sports Power Talk, the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. My name is Jake Murren, and I am the host of today's show. Joining me 
are my analysts, Jeff Longville. GM Jeff Longville in the house. GM Jeff Longville. And Marcus Anderson. Back at it. Yeah. Uh, that last segment was something else, but now we're going to transition into the NFL and the all the news that came out this week. First off, and maybe the more prominent news out of the NFL was the Washington football team's rebranding, new name, logos, uniforms, all that. They are now known as the Washington Commanders. Personally, I don't hate it. I know a lot of people are hating it. Before I give my whole take on it, I want to get your guys' opinions on the Washington Commanders. I really like the name. Uh, I don't think any other team in sports has a name like the Commanders, so I really like it. As far as rebranding the uniforms and whatnot, it doesn't. It's not too different than what we're used to, so I actually like it. Yeah, I like the name too. And about the uniforms, um, they're quite ugly and beautiful at the same time. It's just <laughs> I also you, understand what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it, you, I mean, remember those Buccaneers uniforms, like with like the clock, with like the clock format numbers, like way before, like right before Tom Brady came, the Jameis Winston okay. years. Yeah. I, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, those were so forgettable. I mean, they was just like that. They're just like that. I'm not sure if I want to hate them or love them at the same time. So, personally, Washington Commanders, I like the name. I think it was a lot like the the Cleveland Guardians. You know, there were a lot of names in the pool. But, in my opinion, the Guardians was the best. I didn't like the Spiders. There was a lot of names in the pool for the Commanders as well. I know a lot of people were fans of, like, the Red Wolves or the like the Red Hogs or something like that. I wasn't a big fan of those. I did like the Commanders out of what they were showing, and they pick, they went with it. So I do like the name. The uniforms are questionable at yeah. best, in my opinion. The burgundy uniform is their best one, in my opinion. I don't love how it says, like, Commanders really big across the front. That was one of my things with, like, the Browns new uniforms when they got rid of, like, where the Browns right above the number on the front. I like it. I think it looks more clean. Um, and these commander jerseys, I mean, that's like big lettering right yeah. there on the front, commanders. And I don't like their, like, the logos are good except for their scripts. Like, the commander's logo yeah. just doesn't look very good. I mean, they's probably like Ariel, size 12 or something for that. Yeah. It, it didn't look very good in my <laughs> opinion. Guess. So yes. the burgundy looked good except for that just one part of it. Also, the it looks, it's like a color rush uniform with the red pants as well. Um, honestly... The white uniforms might be the worst uniform in all of the NFL. Yeah. Um, they have that white, like, gradient, but it doesn't even, like, fade, really. So it just has, you know, three blocks of white in the lettering. There's almost no yellow in the uniform as well, oh, which yeah. I thought was a questionable decision at best. The white uniform is terrible. The it black kind of reminds me yeah, of, like, yeah, a college uniform. It's terrible. Yeah. It is. Why, the, why put the white in the letters? That's a really good question. Yeah. And the, the white on the sides that make the stripes, those should have been yellow. Yeah. And I would have yeah. been happy with that. Uh, yeah, either the black or the burgundy. I agree with you. It's look yeah. good. I mean, I guess that's another jersey I need in my closet. Yeah. <laughs> There's something said with, like, uniforms being too basic but also being too much at one time. But, you know, there's definitely those uniforms out there that are too basic, but that white uniform is just way too much with the know. gradient and everything like that. Almost matches the Rams for worst uniform in the NFL because I, I can't say. stand those. How do you feel about the black ones? The black ones are okay. Big for me. the black ones. I yeah. love the patches yeah, I, on the side. Yeah, the patches on the side look great. I love that it actually looks like a commander's like uniform almost. It has that like military feel to it a little yeah. bit. But I feel like they kind of ruined it with a helmet. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, the helmet 
There's a oh, W. I, li- I like you the like helmet. helmet. I mean, I like the face mask. I like how the face, the whole helmet is basically black. And like, yeah, I, I like the I like the concept. I like the colors. Just the one thing I can't get over is they put that W logo right on like the forehead of the helmet. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I, it, that's it terrible. looks like Wario. That looks so awkward. Like, it's like Wario. <laughs> it looks like Wario's like hat from Mario. It's it, it's rough. I yeah. like the black. I like the numbers on the side. Um, I'm sure I'll get over it, especially once they're like on field. I'm sure it won't be too bad with a W on the helmet. But personally, I think the logos are fantastic. I like the seal logo. I like the W. Mm-hmm. The script isn't great, but you can get over that. Um, if I were to grade it, I'd give them probably a B. I like the name. I like the logos. Um, burgundy uniform is just okay. Black one without the helmet is great. And the white one is terrible. So I, I would give it a B grade. Um, what would you guys give the Washington Commanders now? Uh, that sounds about right. Your B grade. A B? Yeah, yeah, I'll go with a B too. Caught, caught me that Chase Young in the black. <laughs> yeah, boy. that would be a boy. Unfortunately, Chase Young. They, they put Chase Young in the white for the photo shoot. I know, so right? It was not, it was not the best, the yeah. best uh, combination there. Honestly, I don't understand people that like Washington football team as a name, though. A lot of people were like, oh, just leave the Washington football team as the name. Just Probably just because it's unique and, like, nobody else it has it. I mean, nobody else I mean, has it, but I don't know. I mean, like, like Steve A. Smith said, uh, the team without a name, basically. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they, were getting so, they were trolled over and over about that. Like, you guys don't even have a name. I mean, you can't come back from that. Like, right. The, like, for the whole two years, I would just say Washington. I, I never said Washington football team. I never said a full no, name. The only thing I, I like just said Washington. The only thing I liked is the acronym. Like, WFT looks mm-hmm. good, but I don't understand why you would want right. your team to be called I, the football team. I know people was probably getting confused. Like, hey, did, hey, did you see the football team today? Like, which football team? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I watched a lot of those Yeah, like, last weekend. <laughs> people were even in favor for the Indians to be called the baseball club, like the Cleveland baseball I club. I hate that. No. I absolutely why? hate that. Guardians is a great name, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But, no, to get out of here with baseball club and football team, no, it, it's ridiculous. I'm happy with the Washington Commanders. Hopefully Washington fans are, too, because that's what's most important. Um, that white uniform needs some work, though. But moving on from the Washington Commanders now, almost said football team, we have a lot of news surrounding the head coaching situation in the NFL right now. So I'll kind of paint the picture of this whole situation, and then we'll discuss what's going on. So Brian Flores, the former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, as a black head coach in the NFL, he's suing the NFL for racial discrimination and for being overlooked in the head coaching positions. And he also had a faulty interview with a New York Giants after Brian Dable was even already hired, even confirmed by the Bill Belichick texts. I don't know if you guys saw those, but those are quite awkward and cringy and uncomfortable. I feel so bad for, for Bill Belichick. Yeah, so for those that didn't see the text, so Bill Belichick, the head coach of the uh, New England Patriots was texting who we thought was Brian Dable. It was actually Brian Flores, and he was congratulating him on the job position, saying that he was being considered highly, and then congratulated him on becoming the Giants head coach when it was actually Brian Dable who he thought he was texting, and Brian Flores was the actual recipient of those texts. And it was Brian Flores actually asked Bill Belichick in the text, like, are you... Who do you think you're talking to? Is this Brian Dable or Brian Flores? And unfortunately for Bill Belichick, it was Brian Flores. and It was really awkward. He said, I messed up. I'm sorry. All that. But makes it just that much harder for Flores. Um, Another thing coming out of this whole situation 
was that Brian Flores claimed that the Dolphins GM was paying him to lose games for the Dolphins. Um, fortunately for the Dolphins fan base and for Brian Flores's dignity, I would say, he did not give in and he won games with a below average quarterback in Tua, I would say. Not that great roster on paper, a terrible GM, as you can see, and still won games. And Brian Flores, you got to give him a lot of credit for that. But then we have to talk about Hugh Jackson. Unfortunately, we have to. He reared his head back up into the Cleveland Browns business in the NFL world because once Brian Flores came out and said that the Dolphins GM paid him to lose games, you know, Hugh Jackson came out and said, well, Jimmy Haslam, the GM of the Browns, also paid me to lose games as well. Why very, so convenient, very convenient timing tenure. for this. Why so suddenly? <laughs> convenient timing, and it came. he came out and said he like um, took back his comments and said that he mm-hmm. actually wasn't paid. So why make the comment in the first place? It's just a mess of a situation with Hugh Jackson. I don't want to talk about him ever again, but unfortunately he, he comes back up. And in a way that's very unfavorable for the Cleveland Browns and our fan base. What are your guys' opinions on... You can talk about Brian Flores as well, but mainly like the Hugh Jackson situation here. I will start with Brian Flores. I think that out of all the head coaches that were let go this past offseason, he being let go by the Dolphins was the biggest surprise to me. I think Brian Flores is a tremendous coach who was just put in an unfortunate situation with a lot of injuries happening with the Dolphins this year and whatnot. And another team that Flores has an issue with is my Denver Broncos. That's true. And apparently when Denver interviewed him for a potential head coaching job back in 2019, he said that uh, John Elway and the rest of the Broncos that were going there to interview him were late that day. He said that he thought that they were hungover and that they were just doing it to fulfill the Rooney rule, which states that when you're looking for a new head coach to hire, you have to hire at least one minority individual. And Elway is claiming that if it seemed like they were hungover, it was because they had a late flight. They were running off a very uh, a very short amount of sleep, and they right. weren't hungover. Truthfully, I don't really know who to believe. I would like to believe that my Denver Broncos didn't intentionally um, give um, Brian Flores a faulty interview, but I wasn't there. I don't really know who to believe exactly. Um, I feel bad for Brian Flores because I said, like I said, I think he's a tremendous head coach and just... The fact that he has to go through this potentially because of simply because he's a minority really just bothers me. Uh, he doesn't deserve yeah. this. And moving on to Hugh Jackson. So from what I understand, uh, Jimmy Haslam said that Hugh Jackson never accepted the responsibility for the Browns record. He always passed the blame to somebody else. Yep. And according to an article I read this morning on CNN, uh, Hugh Jackson was asked, why hasn't he disclosed the evidence that he says he has against the Browns for intentionally wanting to lose games? And Hugh Jackson said, quote unquote, those things will come to light at the right time, which I'm interpreting as when I think of a lie, I'll let you know. And there's nothing there. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I'll go to you, Marcus. Any thoughts on like the whole Brian Flores situation first off and then what Hugh Jackson does um, for Cleveland? I mean, it doesn't seem believable. I mean, I mean, knowing um, it's not even just Brian Flores, and he's even with the with the few hirings of minority coaches in the league. I mean, I'll say this year we have seen like more than ever, like more minorities being hired as NFL head coaches more than ever. Like with David Coley with the Texans, and then with uh, with the Raiders interim head coach 
I can't even pronounce his last name, but you know what I mean. I mean uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about, yeah. But, yeah, I, I see it as believable, like, being Brian Flores being told to lose games and he'll be paid. It's, it's quite believable. And then yeah. it's not even just that. I mean, it's still Airbnb, who, is, who I see as a capable head coach. How, how long have we been talking about I him, I know, too? like, right. for so long. Every single offseason we bring up Eric Bieniemy and want him to be hired somewhere, and then it just doesn't happen. Right. If he wants to stay in Kansas City, fair enough. Right, but he is certainly capable of being a head coach. Yeah, this is like so many. And even with uh, Byron Leftridge, the Buccaneers OC, and then seeing, and then I'm I'm even hoping for David Shaw to come out of college and finally coach an NFL team because he's capable of that as well. But still, I mean, it's surprising at the same time because after all these years, you've seen like guys like Tony Dungy and Mike Tomlin winning Super Bowls and even Lovey Smith like, going to Super Bowls. I mean, you think this would be a problem and. The league is even making a, a few more changes to the Art Rooney rule, uh, yep. which is a rule for minority coaches to be hired, as, which is a which is like a beneficial for minorities to be NFL head coaches, and it still have to come to this. I mean, this is twenty, this is twenty twenty two. We still have to deal with stuff like yep. this. And I mean, the the lawsuit that Brian Flores um, went to the NFL with, the NFL is actually investigating its policies in regards to hiring. Minority um, people for coaching positions, not only head coaching positions, but other positions as well. So a full in- investigation is underway in the NFL and their system. I feel bad for Brian Flores if that is the case. And honestly, like, he had, like, pages upon pages in that lawsuit. You have to agree with him. He's one of the better head coaches in the league. Un- just s- silly for the Dolphins to even get rid of him in the first place. And then for the Giants, and even like you said, uh, uh-huh. Jeff, the Broncos, to just overlook him in interviews as I well. I would have preferred Flores over Fangio any yeah, day of the week. Would you have preferred him over uh, Hackett? Is that who the I think it's Hackett? Yeah, given yeah. the situation that we're in right now, no, because Flores, yeah, Flores is more of a defensive-minded head yeah. coach, and I want an offensive-minded head coach. Plus, like, for the, for the Giants situation in general, I'm not saying, like, Brian Dable is going to be a bad head coach hire. I think he deserves to be a head coach. He got Josh Allen to where he was when he was drafted to where he is now, which is incredible. But now he's going to the Giants with a Daniel Jones puzzle to fix. In my opinion, it would have made more sense to hire Brian Flores, who has experience with a less talented quarterback such as Tua, which is more comparable to um, Daniel Jones at the Giants. Now, Brian Dable is going down from Josh Allen to Daniel Jones, whereas it would have been Brian Flores going from Tua to Daniel Jones. So I feel like that makes more sense. You know, he has more experience coaching a team that doesn't have high expectations that might be at the lower end of the rankings come the season's um, end time. Do you think Brian Dable is a good pick for the Giants, or do you think they should have gone Brian Flores? How do you... I I like the point. Sorry, Marcus. I like the point that you made with Flores going from Tua to Daniel Jones. I I just think it makes more sense for them to do that. But I think the Giants want um, a coach that's going to help fix Daniel Jones. Because I think Daniel Jones has potential. I don't, but that's just me. (laughs) You can't give a guy a name like Danny Dimes when he Well, yeah, I don't think that nickname is deserved at all. No, no, no. But I think that he does have potential to be, at the very least, a decent quarterback. And I think hiring Dable just made sense given what he was able to do with Josh Allen. Yeah, fair enough. I think it's an outstanding hire, honestly. I mean, it's it's not even just with his tenure with the Buffalo Bills under Sean McDermott with his progress with Josh Allen and with that offense being like, 
the highest scorer in the league for like the past few years, one of the highest scoring offensive league. Also, his tenure, he had a few tenure with under Bill Belichick, being a disciple of Bill Belichick under years. I mean, yeah. from defensive assistant, tight end head coach, worked with guys like Wes Walker and Rob Gorkowski as a tight end head coach and Tom Brady. So he's been around a lot of winning football. And also, I, I've been studying Brian. I've been studying this hire for, for all weekend, honestly. And with the schemes he come up with, with the motions he come up with, it's almost revolutionary. Like when you talk and and talk of NFL offenses, like with the motions he put in, with the schemes he put in, and he's he can truly be the next great offensive mastermind, as great as Sean McVay. He's that kind of. He could be that kind of great head coach I'm predicted for him to be for the Giants. But with Daniel Jones, he could work with Daniel Jones, but I suggest, like, look into some free agents or try to talk to teams for some trades because Ozzy, um, uh, just, yeah. I mean, Ozzy and with the Browns situation, I see, um, I know I'm not going to try to put together a football crystal ball here, but I'm seeing Baker Mayfield and the Browns, like, kind of going to – disparaging pretty oh, much, man. and I see Baker Mayfield oh, in the future <laughs> becoming a New York Giant, honestly. Oh, Aaron Rodgers come to Cleveland, can I, honestly. Can I walk out of the studio? Is that allowed? I, I, I didn't mean to say this, but it's just I got I don't get carried away. But oh, God. <laughs> oh, boy. I don't get carried oh. away here, but... <laughs> uh, I want to say so many things in that re- regard, but... I don't really want to get into the Baker Mayfield saga. I know, right now I know, I know. I got him, but I'm without an injury. I do think he's a top ten quarterback in the NFL. I think he's going to prove that next year, and I think Baker Mayfield is the future of the Browns. I have not lost confidence in him after one faulty season, after a season before that, leading the Browns to their first playoff win in decades. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say in regards to that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm... but with the with the giant with the Giants hire of Brian Dable, I'm not saying it was a bad hire. I think it was a good hire too, and it can certainly work out. He can maybe fix Daniel Jones or maybe get a draft pick or a trade, whatever that might be. I think it was a great hire. I just think that Brian Flores might have been a more established and more of a confident hire. Um, I can see both coaches having a great future, but with a Brian Flores situation right now. He said he might have risked his coaching future by implementing the lawsuit that he did. So we'll see how that situation plays out. In regards to Hugh Jackson, um, I kind of have like two takes on the whole situation. One, of course, he comes out now when Brian Flores did. Um, And he didn't come out with like the whole racial minority thing. He didn't say anything about discrimination. But he said that he was also paid to lose games, which he's come back and said that he actually wasn't. So why even make up the lie to begin with? As you were saying, Jeff, And at least, like, if it was true, which it isn't, but if it was, at least Brian Flores was a good enough coach and had the dignity to not lose for money, to not lose and disparage his team and the work that his players are doing every single day. He was a good enough coach to win games, even when the GM was paying him to lose them. What did Hugh Jackson do? He went 0-16. He went 1-15. He, if it was true... He jumped in the river. Yeah, gosh, (laughs) such a goof. (laughs) Really, though, he was a terrible coach. And even if it's not true, like I said, but if it was, he didn't even have the dignity to stand up for his players and try to win games. Instead, he lost it, lost them for money from Jimmy Haslam, which, I mean, isn't even true now. So it kind of debunks that. But really, just Hugh Jackson needs to accept that he was not a good head coach. 
he was never a good head coach, and he never will be a good head coach in the NFL. He probably won't get another position in the NFL, if I'm being honest. And uh, honestly, that's probably the best call. That'll be it for what I say about the head coaching. Any final takes on the head coaching situation? Can I um, give my takes on a different head coach situation that just came to light a couple days ago? Absolutely. So, the Jacksonville Jaguars hired Doug Peterson as their new head coach. And I think that this is absolutely terrible. Terrible? I do. Oh, that's not where I thought you were going with it. (laughs) I think that Jacksonville and Houston are the two teams in the NFL that are in desperate need of a culture change. Now, I get it. Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia. Okay, cool. But then, two years ago, he also openly tanked so Philadelphia would get a better draft pick. In my opinion, Doug Peterson is a disgrace to the NFL and should never be a head coach ever again, and he's not going to change the culture in Jacksonville. Oh, man. Any, Absolutely terrible hire. Anything to say on that, Marcus? I mean, I would agree. It was either between him or Byron Leftwich. And Byron Leftwich being an ex-quarterback of that same franchise and did a decent job over there as a quarterback. And then his and then his job as an offensive coordinator working with Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, did great with that offense, obviously, which finished as the highest passing offense in the NFL last season. And also... um. I would I would have hired Byron Leftwich. I don't know why. I, would I thought have as well. I thought I was a short hire, and then also um, and then also uh, other rumors. Currently, the Saints are currently talking with Eric Bieniemy to be their next head coach. I'd love to see that. Yeah, I'd love do. to see that as well. Do you think uh, Jameis Winston starts for that team? Nah. No, I mean there <laughs> I was hope not. There was there was also it also brought back brought back alive other rumors from during the season. About Russell Wilson leaving Seattle, and then the Saints being the obvious destination for him if he does that. leave Seattle. And it that was that was one, and that was of course when Sean Payne was still the head coach. Yeah. Obviously, he stepped down, and obviously those rumors can be brought back to life again. Knowing if Eric Bieniemy does become the next head coach for New Orleans, yeah. there's going to be a lot of moves at quarterback this off season. It's yeah. going to be one of the more entertaining off seasons with quarterbacks this. Uh, this year, honestly, with Aaron Rodgers, I feel like we have a good idea of where he might go. Aaron um, Rodgers come to Cleveland. No. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers no. come to Cleveland. No. Aaron Rodgers come to Cleveland. He's going to go to Jeff's team. Yeah. He's gonna, no. He's yeah. probably going to go to the Broncos. You got nothing for him. Although I've you seen a lot of people him. think he's going to go to the Colts, and then Carson Wentz is going to get just move on, I guess. I don't know. That might happen, too. But I feel, I feel like the whole uh, um, situation with Aaron Rodgers is more predictable than the one with Russell Wilson. Um, even Jimmy G's like out there on the trade wire too. Um, but man, I Air, or Russell Wilson is going to be one of the biggest stories to follow this offseason because I honestly have no idea what he's going to do. I could see him staying with Seattle or I could see him going to like four other teams. And that includes teams like Cleveland, like Pittsburgh, like the Colts, like a, like a Jacksonville, like the Saints. Not Jacksonville, but like the Saints. Any of those teams I could see Russell Wilson going to. So did did you say we have nothing for Aaron Rodgers? I mean, I wouldn't say nothing, but... We compared- stole his whole coaching <laughs> staff. What are you talking I mean, about? Just, okay, you guys, former OC, so what? Yeah. I mean, the Browns... Hey, he's a former quarterback so coach. Okay, That's so what? <laughs> I mean, Or tight end coach. I mean, tight yeah, but compared to the Browns, we got everything that he needs. I mean, he's, he's 39 going on 40. He's trying to go to the Super Bowl, trying to go to another Super Bowl. And compared to the Broncos... And the Browns, the Browns got everything he needs. I mean, best online in the NFL, and the best, probably the best run game in the NFL. Decent, a decent, yeah. a decent receiving core, a decent defense. A defense can be solid. So 
basically compared to our Broncos, I'm not, not going to disagree with that, but we have things to offer him. We have a very young receiving core. We can draft some more, more offensive linemen. We got a better defense. He, he goes better with Kevin Stefanski than Nathaniel Hackett, honestly. Nathaniel I mean, Hackett was his coach. So, so my thing with that, um, I watched the Manning cast of the Monday Night Football with uh, the Browns and Steelers, and they had Aaron Rodgers on as a guest. And Aaron Rodgers was very critical of Kevin Stefanski's play calling with an injured Baker Mayfield. He was saying how um, Stefanski wasn't playing calls that would be beneficial to Baker Mayfield in his current status, which was injured, honestly. So he thought he could have been better with making play calls and all that. He wants a good foundation. And as Jeff said... They have that foundation in Denver with his old coaches, with people that he has experience with. And sure, maybe the Browns have a little bit more to offer than he does. And I'm not saying I don't want Aaron Rodgers on the Browns, but I'm saying that I do see Aaron Rodgers comfortably fitting in with the Denver Broncos oh, this offseason. But why be with the same guys that Let's you lo- Why be with the same guys you fell because short three, you said, three years in a row? Because you said 39 going on 40. Sure, he wants the Super Bowl, but he also doesn't want a completely new system. He wants some familiarity. People mm-hmm. don't like uncertainty, uncertainty I mean, at all. I wouldn't want to be with the same guys I fell one game short with three years in a row. We'll see. <clears throat> we'll see. Um, another Before we go to break, another big breaking news this week in the NFL Unfortunately for Jeff, the seven-time Super Bowl champion, five-time Super Bowl MVP, three-time NFL MVP, 15-time Pro Bowler, and the NFL's all-time passing touchdown leader and passing yards leader after 22 seasons, Tom Brady has officially declared his retirement. How do we feel about Tom Brady's retirement? This league gonna be so. It's going to be so weird watching the NFL without him, honestly. But at the same time, with him and Ben Roethlisberger be out, and also, also, we got some other old quarterbacks on their way out as well, like Matt Ryan and others, and et cetera. I mean, it's just le- it just leaves room for these young guns to come into the league, and this and this young crop of quarterbacks is like has been bigger than ever. I, I mean, big, big not, hasn't been this big since two thousand four or nineteen eighty three. I mean, yeah. we got Justin Herbert, Ch- um, Patrick Holmes, Joe Burrow. I mean, we got we get more and more young quarterbacks that are willing to make their own legacy in this league. And it's very exciting. The future is very exciting. Basically what Marcus said, it's going to pave the way for this younger generation of quarterbacks. Uh, The face of the NFL for the past 20 years is no longer in the NFL. Um, Thank you, Tom Brady, for everything that you did for the game of football. Yeah, I'm not a huge Tom Brady fan, but I do recognize greatness, and he is the definition of greatness. The last time Tom Brady wasn't an active NFL player, LeBron James was a freshman in high school. Yeah. <laughs> the Bucks and Pats hadn't won any Super Bowls. Mac Jones, the starting quarterback for the Patriots, was only one year old. Yeah. So it's going to be a crazy NFL future. Um, when we come back from break, we're going to talk about the retired quarterbacks and how they rank in the NFL and also rank the new and upcoming quarterbacks and all that talent. And we're also going to have our little NFL honors predictions where we predict all of the um, awards such as MVP, Coach of the Year, all that and more coming up on our last half an hour of Sports Power Talk. What's going on, everybody? This is the last segment of Sports Power Talk, the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. Joining me for today's show 
is Jeff Longville. TB12, the GOAT. And Mark Sanderson? I agree. All right. Absolutely. A little bit of agreement between you guys. Over the break, there was not much agreement on the whole Aaron Rodgers I mean, situation. But. I mean, I said it before. He, he's just like solid. I mean, it's oh like, he's just like, solid. <laughs> there's nothing special about him, but he's what so, type of salad? he is so great. Hold on. What type of salad? I mean, I'll say it. Like Caesar? Yeah, like Caesar salad. I love Caesar salads. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing special about him, but he's so great for some, it's just like salads. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's nothing special about them, but they taste so good for some reason. It's nothing special about them. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave the Aaron Rodgers conversation at that, because that's just too good to follow up with. Um, but with Tom Brady's retirement, we have to rank the old quarterbacks who have left the NFL in order. So I'll we'll, uh, I'll, I'll just name the quarterbacks and we'll we'll go from there. So we have Tom Brady, uh, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Philip Rivers, Big Ben, and Eli Manning in this conversation. Number one for all of us should be Tom Brady. Yep. Right, Is that the case? For, okay. Definitely. Yeah. Thank goodness. I think number two gets a little bit tricky. Um, not for me, at least. No. Not I have me. Peyton Manning. Yeah. Number two. I have Peyton Manning. Not Peyton Manning. Okay. Okay. We're all we're all in agreement. <laughs> I like this so far. Number three. I'll have you guys go ahead. I have Drew Brees at three. I also have Drew Brees at Drew number Brees. three. Okay. Cool. Okay. Cool. Uh, this is not how I thought this was going to go. It's going pretty smooth. Number four. There's going to be disagreement here. I know. We talked yeah. about this, Jeff. Yeah. Who's your number four, Jeff? I have Ben at my number four. Big Ben. Who's your number four? Philip Rivers. Oh, oh what? Philip Rivers. Why? Philip Rivers. I mean, he got the yards on him. He got the pe- Well, actually, Big Ben. Big Ben. There we go. There we go. So, oh, goodness. I have Eli Manning after I, Drew Brees. That's disgusting. And in front of Ew. Big Ben. Ew. I do think what? Eli Manning is... Are you guys insane? <laughs> I you guys I'm it's agreeing just, with you. No, I mean, just yeah, because he got no Super Bowls, just because he got no Super Bowl, Philip Rivers is Wait, not better than... Okay, we're back on Philip Rivers. Do you think... Oh, hold on. Drew Brees, and then it's Philip Rivers, or it's then Big Ben for you, Marcus? Drew Brees, damn Philip Rivers, with me. Okay, oh, so boy. we're in disagreement Oh, then. no. So, number four for Jeff is Big Ben. I can respect yes. that. Number four for me is Eli Manning. Number four for Marcus, you have Philip Rivers. At number four. Yes. I mean, let's take away the Super Bowls. Let's take away the Super Bowls for and a minute. One of the most important things. Yeah. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he's got the pass yards. He's got the TDs. I mean, it wins. I wouldn't say that. But, I mean, it's just his style alone. I mean, he's, I mean, if you was to ask me, I mean, if you take away the Super Bowl, he's the best quarterback in the 2004 class, in the class mm-hmm. of 2004. Okay, so. If you was to ask me. Um. Did Big Ben ever play with a running back the caliber of Daniel Tomlinson? He only had two years with LT. Actually, three years. And then after that, it was his team. Sure. But he had LT when he was the MVP, right? Yes. And then did, has Big Ben ever played with a tight end like Antonio LT was LT was getting old when Phillip Rivers was young. But he won the MVP. LT was LT was and old. has has Big that was ben, his last good year. Has Big Ben ever had a tight end as good as Antonio Gates? No. Nah. No. Okay. There we go. <laughs> I'd still rather take Philip Rivers over Ben mm, Roethlisberger. No. Yeah. I'd no. still rather take Philip Rivers. I. It depends on what team and what system and all that. I do have Big Ben over Philip Rivers, so that like rounds out my list. I have Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Eli Manning, Big Ben, and then Philip Rivers at my last place position, actually. Yeah. So, uh, Jeff, go ahead and read off. So, uh, Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Big Ben. 
Eli Manning and Philip Rivers was really close for me. I think Philip Rivers is the more talented quarterback. Okay. But Eli Manning is the more accomplished. He has two rings, two Super Bowl MVPs. I agree. I put Eli over Philip Rivers just slightly. Yes, sir. Yes. Am I? Just because of the two Super Bowls. So Marcus, just because of the two Super Bowls. Marcus, you That's, have Brady. Yeah. You have Brady, Manning, Breeze, Big Ben, and then what? And then Eli. And Eli. Oh man, this is all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good after Brady, Manning, and then Breeze, and that kind of just went all over the place. And then also, and, I like it. I like it. And then also speaking of, uh, also speaking of Big Ben, as Phil Rivers ever had a good defense, as good as. The Steelers with Big Ben. Yeah, 2010. Nah. Nope. 2010, they nah. were the number one Definitely defense not. in the league. Definitely not. They couldn't even I'm talking about, playoffs. did Phillip Rivers ever get, uh, ever work with the defense as good as Big Ben worked with the defense? Okay, no, but did Phillip Rivers ever make the Super Bowl? Was it also, his fault? I, was it his I, would, fault? I would assume that since he's been there for so long and didn't even make it, some of the blame has to fall on him. Yeah, uh, especially just if you're the quarterback fall. for a team that yeah. doesn't make the Super Bowl, just automatically a lot of the blame goes on. Nah, honestly not. All right, well, that so, was... So is Trent Dilfer a better quarterback than Dan Marino? Is Joe Flacco a better quarterback than, let's say, um... No, say but Rivers? Dan Marino got the Super Bowl, and he won an MVP. Okay. Is Trent Dilfer better than him? No. Is Brad Johnson better than him? No. How far exactly? <laughs> is Eli Manning better than Dan Marino? No. Okay, so... <laughs> Look, man, this I'm is just actually... saying that Philip Rivers underachieved in his entire career. He never made it to the Super okay, Bowl. Okay, okay. It's just that... And he had a really good team. Okay, I thought people always determine somebody's greatness just off of Super Bowls that's and championships alone. If you want to put Philip Rivers in front of Eli Manning, that's fine. He does not go in front of Big Ben. He doesn't. Why is that exactly? Because Big Ben made it to three Super Bowls. Let's, let's take out the one, Super Bowls. One, two of them. Let's take out the Why? Super Bowls. See, okay, that's not <laughs> fair. It makes that's no not sense. Fair. Super Bowls is not everything, though. I understand it's not right, everything, but, but it's pretty It's important. the most important thing, it's in my opinion. It is not. <laughs> All right, well. We'll, we'll stop that conversation there with the old <laughs> quarterbacks because it's just going to get picked up and back again when we rank the new quarterbacks in today's NFL. It is pretty hard. Might as well say lie. Bill Russell is the greatest basketball player of all oh. time. <laughs> in some we, people's uh, eyes, he might be. Yeah, for Celtics fans, maybe. Yeah. So the new quarterbacks in order, um, I'll just read them off real quick. So we have Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, and Lamar Jackson to pick from. Um, Marcus, since your picks were so interesting for the old quarterbacks, I'll go to you first. Here, let's go top three first. Okay, so... Your top three new quarterbacks. Okay, I'll say, So, this is our order. So, Patrick Holmes, Josh Allen, and Lamar Jackson. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. Let's take it back. Um, <laughs> Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert. That's is my that, top. Is that in order? No, nah, out of order. Out of order. So, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen... Patrick so he's saying those are his top three, but not in a specific order. Yeah. Okay. 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 That's fine, I guess. Ooh. Okay. So for me, first of all, this is really hard because I don't know how these guys' careers are going to finish up because they're all so young. I have Mahomes at number one. I do obviously. Too. I do too. Okay. <laughs> so number two, I am putting Joe Burrow at two. Wow. Because. He's in the Super Bowl. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I'm just surprised. I know that that's like, that might be controversial for some people, but I have Joe Burrow at number two for that. And I have Lamar at number three because he won an MVP. 
The disrespect. This is very hard. The disrespect. This is very difficult. To Josh Allen. He's my number four. It, he's it my number be four. Your number two, because he's my number two. My Lamar. list is it, Patrick. It's hard. Okay. It is hard. It is hard. But I have Patrick Mahomes number one, Josh Allen two. Put some respect on Josh Allen's name. Definitely. And then I have Joe Burrow number three. Um, I mean, I guess Joe Burrow did what Josh Allen couldn't in beating the Chiefs, but honestly, it was kind of out of Josh Allen's hands with the whole overtime rules that we talked about last week. Yeah. But yeah, Mahomes, Allen, and Burrow are my top three. That's fine. I, I If you want to put Josh Allen that high, that's perfectly fine with I me. I just was surprised I, by the... I'm, I'm fine with Burrow over Allen to an extent, mm-hmm. but I do think Allen is more accomplished in the league so far. But Lamar Jackson over Josh I, Allen? I just put him there because the he's got an MVP. I understand and that. I think he's fallen off since then, but there's it's such a small sample size. Well, Josh Allen can also run the ball. Not, he can. Not, uh, as, not as well as Lamar Jackson. He can. But Josh Allen is certainly better at passing the ball than Lamar Jackson. I agree. Jackson. If I were to pick between the two of them, I would take Josh Allen. But, like, historically speaking... I just think that Lamar's MVP puts him above right. Allen just slightly. I don't hate it, I guess. But so let's round out the list. Um, I'll go to you, Jeff. So then I have Allen at four, Kyler Murray at five, Justin Herbert at six. Oh, man. Okay. Marcus? All right. So, all right, so I'm going to start at one. So number one is Mahomes. Two is Allen. Three is Herbert. Then four, I would say, um, four, I would say Lamar Jackson. And then five, I'll say Joe Burrow. Actually, I might have to switch that. I mean, just because of the Super Bowl, come on now. Just because of the Super Bowl, come on now. Where's Josh Allen going to that picture, Marcus? (laughs) Uh, Number two. Number two. Okay. okay. Yeah, number two. Don't hate it. Number six. Go ahead. Number six, I'll say... I don't think you've said Kyler Murray yet. Oh, yeah. Kyler Murray, yeah. of course. Kyler so my list is kind of similar. I have Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow. Then I have Justin Herbert, and then Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray. Um, I think Lamar Jackson is just an improved Kyler Murray. And then I kind of just put them at the bottom. And then I ranked Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, and Herbert in that order. But a lot of disagreement, a lot of cool conversations there. Um, but yeah, this is going to be a fun... Uh, a couple of years in the NFL, seeing all these guys develop and see what they can do with their teams. Hopefully, Baker Mayfield joins that conversation, and we'll be talking about his name in this conversation next year, and not Baker Mayfield on the New York Giants. Get that out! Of here. <laughs> get that out of here! <laughs> all right, well, that'll do it for that. Um, let's get into the NFL Honors Show that's going to take place this Thursday, and we're going to predict the most important awards. Let's start it right off the bat with. The NFL Coach of the Year. Jeff, who was your NFL Coach of the Year? I'm going to go with Zach Taylor. Won the division when the Bengals were picked to finish fourth, and they're in the Super Bowl. I like it's got to be Zach Taylor. These They don't include like the postseason, though. Right, but I mean still. Yeah. Marcus, who's your Coach of the Year? Um, if you would ask me, I'd say the Raiders head coach, um, Rich. Um, Rich Bisaccia. Yeah, Rich Bisaccia, yeah. I mean, even though um, even though Zach Taylor is with in the Super Bowl, just tur- had a huge turnaround with the Bengals. But I'll say uh, with Rich, um, he did he did so great with less. You know what I mean? I mean, I and- I like the Zach Taylor pick a lot, but I went with Mike Vrabel, head coach of okay. the Tennessee Titans. Okay. He led the Titans to a 12 and five record, the number one seed in the AFC. You can debate if it, if like they were the num- worst number one seed um, of all time, which. They might have been. 
but they had the most turnover in roster positions in the league, and they were without Derrick Henry for most of the year. And they still went 12-5 and in the number one seed. I gave my coach of the year to Mike Vrabel for this one. Fair, fair. Yeah. Moving on from the coach of the year, let's go to the comeback player of the year. Um, lots of people that could be considered, but I think this pick is pretty obvious. Nick Bosa. Okay, I guess it's not very obvious because I don't have Nick Bosa, but go ahead, explain why Nick Bosa's your comeback player. I mean, Nick Bosa, I mean, it's just that 15 sacks and come from a season-ending injury, knee injury, ever like, he finished third in the league of sacks, right? I'm I'm not too sure about that. Uh, yeah, I'm Yeah, he's, I'm pretty sure he finished only behind Miles Garrett and... And and TJ Watt and I saw there was a there was a chart you showed of double pass rush, um, double pass rushes and pass rushes one, and then also I saw on the chart with Nick Bosa being high on that chart. But other than that, it's just 15 sacks. It was obviously a stellar year from the Ohio State alumni, and yeah, the Ohio State alumni, the Ohio State. Jeff, who's your comeback player there? Yours is Dak Prescott, isn't it? No, it is. It's not. not. It's okay, not good, Prescott. good, no way. good, good. I think that Dak Prescott will win it because he's the quarterback of the Cowboys. However, I'm in agreement with Marcus. I would really? pick Nick Bosa, 15 and a half sacks and four, four forced fumbles after coming off an injury. So you just gave Zach Taylor some love. I'm going to the same team. I'm going. I'm giving uh, Joe Burrow some love for the comeback player oh, of the year. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, he led the Bengals to a 10 and 7 record after having reconstructive knee surgery. He won the AFC North, connected with Jamar Chase right off the bat, and as you said, led his team to a Super Bowl. Joe Burrow, I think, will win it, and he should win Comeback Player of the Year. I know Nick. I Bosa, won't be mad at that. Nick Bosa and Dak might get some recognition there too, but um, I do think Joe Burrow deserves that award. Uh, moving on from Comeback Player of the Year, though, we have Offensive Player of the Year. Now, this—I mean, I was confident about Comeback Player of the Year, but I think we should all say the same name here for Offensive Player of the Year. It's got to be Cooper Cup. Oh, yeah, Cooper Cup. Yeah. yeah. Cooper Cup, all of us? Okay, sweet. He was the Triple Crown winner, first player since 2005 to lead the NFL in receptions with 145, receiving yards with 1,947, and receiving touchdowns with 16. Just amazing wide receiver for the Los Angeles Rams. I can't wait to see him play in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Anything else to say about Cooper Cup? He's Triple a beast. Winner. beast. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. So, Defensive Player of the Year, I don't know if there's much debate here either. Um, I, unfortunately, as a Browns fan, give it to T.J. Watt. He had an incredible season with 22 and a half sacks, 39 QB hits, and five forced fumbles in only 15 games played. Um, it pains me to give it to a Pittsburgh Steeler, but T.J. Watt deserves it. I, got TJ I agree. Yeah, I mean, he, he really broke the record. I mean, he missed like three to five games this year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and only, only played in 15 games. Yeah, it's yeah. still tied the record. See, I don't like it when records are broken in that extra game. But in T.J. Watt's case, with him missing games prior, it, it would have been fine with me because he didn't oh, yeah. only play the 15 games. So it would have been fine with me in that case. Um, now, a little bit of debate had here. Offensive Rookie of the Year for the NFL. Who do you guys have? I have Jamar Chase. Most receiving yards in one season in Bengals history as a rookie. Oh, yeah, Jamar Chase, definitely. I love it. Get Mac Jones out of this conversation. Jamar Chase deserves to be the Offensive Rookie of the Year at 81 catches for 13 touchdowns, and that's record-setting of 1,455 yards. Just explosive is the best way to describe him. Um, he did have the most drops this year. He's got to work on that a little bit, but he's a rookie. What can you say? Just explosive, and that Joe Burrow connection is going to be around in Cincinnati for years to come. 
And then Defensive Rookie of the Year, not much debate to be had here, in my opinion, either, but I'll go to you guys first. Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons. Yep. Without doubt. Without question. Yeah. I also have Micah Parsons. He, over the last 15 seasons, only three players had a year with 80 tackles and 30 QB hits. That's J.J. Watt, DeMarcus Ware, and now Micah Parsons. Not only a great rookie year, but a great year in general for any defensive player. Micah Parsons certainly deserves that Defensive Rookie of the Year award. All right, that brings us to the granddaddy of them all, the MVP award, which is also going to be our Around the Roo for this week. So if you guys didn't know, Around the Roo, where we debate around the table and then bring it to you via our Twitter page at WZIP Sports. For this week, we ask who will win the MVP in the NFL? Will it be Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady? I know there are other people in this conversation, such as like a Cooper Cup, but we're going to keep it nice and simple whether it be Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. Last week, 89% voted that they liked college overtime rules more than NFL. Mostly surprised NFL overtime rules any, got yeah, any votes. That's insane. Um, but this week, who's the MVP? And I'll ask you guys that same question. Who you guys have for the MVP? So, it's really close in my opinion, but I don't see a world where you lead the NFL in passing yards and touchdowns and don't win the MVP. So, Which I'm, I'm going to go with Brady. Okay. Um... I'm thinking, like, it could. There's something that hasn't happened since 2003. Uh, this award would be shared, like co- like co-MVPs. Uh, I'm, I'll say Tom Brady and Cooper Cup. Oh, so not even Aaron Rodgers up for consideration. Nah, I mean, oh, like you said, Cooper Cup with the triple crown and then Tom Brady with the past yards record, one of, two, one of the only two quarterbacks this year to throw for 5,000. And then also, this is... Also, if it was really to go to the best player of the year, like this year, I'll say John the Taylor, which is something that has been done since 1975. It could have been done in 2014, given the J.J. Watt, like that, the award given to a non-playoff player. Yeah, I would give it to Cooper Cup over Jonathan Taylor. Oh, yeah. Just because I just yeah. think his season was yeah. insane. For me, I am in agreement with Jeff. Um, I do think Aaron Rodgers deserves some love. He'll get some votes, certainly but I'm going to give my MVP to the GOAT, Tom Brady. Just looking at the stats, Tom Brady has 1,200 more passing yards than Aaron Rodgers this season. He has also thrown six more touchdowns. The big the big stat here, though, is interceptions. Um, Aaron Rodgers only threw four interceptions this year, which is insane, and he deserves credit for that. Whereas Tom Brady threw 12 interceptions, so eight more interceptions than Aaron Rodgers. But considering this is the last season for the GOAT and the passing yards and the passing touchdowns are better than Aaron Rodgers, I am going to give it to Tom Brady. I know the Packers got the number one seed in the NFC, but I just think it being Tom Brady's last season, it'll go to him instead. But let us know your thoughts on our Twitter page at WZIP Sports. The poll will be on Twitter right after the show, and you guys can let us know who your MVP is this season, whether that be Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. And if it's somebody else like a Jonathan Taylor or Cooper Cup, definitely let us know in the comments. So the Pro Bowl is happening today. Are either of you guys like excited or going to watch the Pro Bowl today? No, I'm no, not. No. I, I just care about who's there. The Pro yeah. Bowl is like televised two-hand tap football. It's not entertaining. You're not, you're not wrong. Um I mean, I guess I'm excited to see, like, the Browns players, Joel Batonio, Miles Garrett, Wyatt Teller, Nick Chubb, and Denzel Ward in there. Um, I think the AFC is going to win because they have those guys, and Jonathan Taylor, Justin Herbert. I mean, Justin Herbert throwing to Tyree Kill, that'll be fun to watch, I guess. But 
yeah, I, I think the AFC is going to win. It's not all that entertaining. Um, and it kind of begs a question for me, like the NBA and the or the NBA and the MLB, they have longer seasons, and I understand that. So they do an All Star break in the middle of the season, and it's a big event, and they those games actually kind of they don't really mean something, but they're more entertaining at least. The Pro Bowl, like, should the Pro Bowl take place in the middle of the regular season to like after week eight or nine, take a week off of NFL and have a Pro Bowl in the middle of the season? What do you guys think about that? I'm not like wanting that to happen. I just thought of it. I, I kind of agree that it should happen during the season, but I would say more like towards like the back quarter of the season yeah. because halfway through is just too small of a sample size in my opinion. I think if you do it like 75% of the way yeah. through the season, you have a better chance of putting the guys that deserve to be in there. That in was... There. I had, like, two things wrong with what I just suggested. One was a sample size. Like, if you're only playing half a season, that might not qualify you as a Pro Bowler or not. And then the other one was, like, risk of injury halfway through the season in the Pro Bowl. But, like, there's risk of injury in the NBA All-Star Game and the MLB All-Star Game, too. But, like, also the Pro Bowl isn't played with that much intensity. So I don't think injuries would be very common. But it's definitely a concern. How do you feel about it, Marcus? Uh, I think uh, I remember there was a time when the NFL used to have the Pro Bowl played after the Super Bowl, and I honestly think they should have it that way because, it, I mean, players just go there to have fun. I mean, players don't really have players don't really have to go. If they if they want to go, they just go just to have a good time. That's all. Yeah. And I think they should go back to that, moving the Pro Bowl back to after the Super Bowl. I wouldn't hate it, but I also like that it fills the gap, like this weekend without football before the Super Bowl. Right. Um, but also, you know, you do want to see your Super Bowl players in the Pro Bowl as well. So I do understand that. Um, real quick recapping the conference championship games last week. The Bengals won in overtime against the coin toss champion Chiefs. And then the 49ers uh, lost to the Rams 20-17. to Any major takeaways from either of these games, guys? So, I'll be honest. Like, during the, the Chiefs-Bengals game, I was not excited. I sat on my couch with absolutely zero enthusiasm when it built to, like, 21-3 to in favor of the Chiefs. Yeah, that was rough. And then Cincinnati came back, and I couldn't even sit down because you guys know how much I hate the Chiefs, right? Like, I didn't want to yeah. see them in the Super Bowl three years in a row. Like, I'm pacing back and forth in my living room just like, you would have thought I was a Bengals fan. And then when Evan McPherson kicks the game-winning field goal after Patrick Mahomes throws the interception in overtime, just all the... All the anxiety and all the stress of watching Patrick Mahomes potentially win another Super Bowl just went away. I could just relax, and I feel so much better now. Yeah, and honestly, who knew the Chiefs would only score three points in the second half altogether? That's what shocked me the most. I mean, you would think they would have at least put up a touchdown, and if they did, it would be a different matchup in the Super Bowl right now. Mm -hmm. Any uh, takeaways from either of those games, 49ers, Rams, or Bengals, Chiefs for you, Marcus? Um, I'll say Andy Reid ruined a possible dynasty to happen, even though I still think it's possible. I, I mean, yeah, not 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 running a lot in the second half. I mean, there's the same same exact way they lost to the Bengals the first time. And I don't know how. I mean, it's just that. I mean, I know it's still it's still alive for the Chiefs and Patrick Holmes still got a legacy to build for himself. I mean, it's just that I was mad because I was picking the Chiefs because it's it was supposed to be, we expect this to be a dynasty. Like, we expect this, if they won this game and go to the Super Bowl game, we was about to put them in the same line with the 2000-2010 Patriots, the 90s Cowboys, the 80s 49ers. I mean, that possibility, that can still 
happy for them, but yeah, it's going to be a lot harder for them now because teams are start now starting to figure out your game a little bit more at least. Yeah, I do think there is something to be said that they're just making the AFC Conference Championship game like every single year. Um, so that dynasty is still definitely possible. And on, at the beginning of the season, did anyone see a potential Bengals-Rams matchup in the Super Bowl? No, I, I mean, I saw the Bengals. I mean, I saw the okay. Rams, I but say, not the Bengals. No, nah, I saw the Rams, but the Bengals. the Bengals. I didn't think they was going to make it to the playoffs at all. I, did, I, I think that I thought they were going to finish last place in the AFC North. I did, too. Honestly. I was right there with you. And for the Rams, I had, like, the NFC hierarchy being... Buccaneers, Packers, and then Rams. Yeah. And yeah. then the Buccaneers and uh, Packers leave the playoffs in the same round, and now we have the Rams in the Super Bowl. Just how the way the NFL works, I guess. Then in this Super Bowl is also made a bit of history because it is the first Super Bowl in 19 years that will not feature Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Big Ben, or the 49ers as a team. So it's going to be exciting. It's going to be fresh. I actually can't wait. I'm going to root for the Bengals just to represent Ohio. I, we could say that we beat the Bengals twice. We beat the Super Bowl champion champions twice. So that's nice, too. Um, real quick, just early predictions for the Super Bowl. You don't have to set it in stone. We'll do predictions next week. But Rams, Bengals, how do you see it, how do you see it going out? I think it's going to be a really close game. Um, I think both offenses are going to be explosive. I do think the Rams' pass rush will be able to get home, unlike Kansas City's last week, so I'm going to take the Rams. I'm taking the Rams without question. I mean, I mean Joe Burrow, I love Joe Burrow, but that is still such a horrible O-line and having to face Eric Donald, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, and that great defense, and Jamar Chase, rookie of the year, no doubt. But during the Rams, he's too much of a savage to allow – Jamar Chase continues success, and he's going to shut that down. Yeah, that's Damn what man. worries me most, that Rams defense against Joe Burrow and that offensive line. Joe Burrow is the most sacked quarterback this year. Coming off that knee surgery, I just don't like that matchup at all. But like you said, Jeff, I do think it's going to be close. I am leaning the Rams because of that Rams defense. But next week, I don't know, maybe I'll, spit, I'll pick the Bengals. I've been down on the Bengals this whole entire postseason, and they just keep on surprising me, and now they're here mm-hmm. in Super Bowl 56. So Same we'll see. <laughs> how that goes but that will do it for today's show any last thoughts on today's show gentlemen so i'm gonna offer a bit of an apology to somebody oh goodness when when joe burrow left ohio state and went to lsu i was upset it was a situation that i didn't really quite fully understand and i i envied watching him have success at lsu and i actually i didn't like joe burrow very much at all well now that I fully understand the situation as to why he left and the fact that he beat the Chiefs in the playoffs, Joe Burrow, I am so sorry. Thank you so much for getting this burden off my shoulders. If you do win the Super Bowl, I am not going to be upset at all, but I am rooting against you. But if you do win, I'll be happy for you. I love it. Marcus, how about you? Any last thoughts? I mean, Tom Brady, is, Tom Brady I'll admit, I hate to admit, but he's the greatest. He's the greatest of all time, not just the greatest quarterback of all time, but maybe the greatest football player of all time in NFL history. But it's just someday in the future, you're going to say the same thing about Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he's the- well, we're not going to debate it right now, but maybe, maybe. Yeah. For today's show, go Zips basketball. Go beat my Emmy of Ohio later on today. Hopefully the MLB lockout soon comes to an end. And the Cavs continue their success. I'm excited for the all-star game and weekend events. Jeff, 
your team definitely beat out Marcus's team. I'm sorry, Marcus, but it was just a rough draft for you. Um, also, good luck, Brian Flores, and the whole head coaching situation. Hugh Jackson, you're dead to me, and the whole city of Cleveland. I don't want to hear your name ever again. Go participate in Around the Rue on our Twitter page at WZIP Sports to decide who the MVP will be in this year's NFL race between Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and the Super Bowl. Go Bengals. Who do they think are going to beat the Bengals? Nobody. That's what I want to happen, but I honestly think the Bang- or the Rams might win. We'll have to see how it goes. From now, go just go Bengals. That's all I'm hoping for. That's all I'm hoping for. Joining me for today's show was... Jeff Longville. Marcus Anderson. And I am Jake Murren. We'll see you same time and place next week on WZIP. Thank you.